From Positive Momentum, this is Meet the CEO, a show that takes you behind the scenes of the working lives of people who've reached what some might call the pinnacle of the career ladder. I'm Matt Crabtree, the founder of Positive Momentum, and on today's show, we meet Richard Dillon, the CEO of Ivy Farm Technologies, a new organisation using novel technology created at the University of Oxford to grow real mincemeat free from antibiotics. It's called cultivated meat and is high in protein and low in saturated fat. Now, the team at Ivy Farm describe themselves as an inquisitive bunch of bioengineers and scientists who love animals, love the planet, but also love bacon sandwiches. Today they're still in the R&D stage, but as you'll hear from Rich, they're starting to plan for major production in the near future so that those of us who do can continue to enjoy real meat, but without any of the environmental and welfare impact of the way meat is currently produced. Now Rich started his career at P&G before moving to Red Bull, where he was ultimately head of global sales. After 13 years and some extraordinary growth at the legendary category creator that is Red Bull, Rich joined the Lagunitas Brewing Company, helping them to expand beyond the USA and into more than 35 countries worldwide, before in 2018 Lagunitas was bought by Heineken, where Rich spent a further couple of years helping to integrate them before the world of cultivated meat came knocking. I started out as we always do on Meet the CEO by asking Rich, why he became a CEO? That's a good question, Matt. And honestly, I didn't dream of being a CEO as a teenager. I don't, I don't think many people do. They might do now with Elon Musk and whatnot. That's true. But I wanted to be a footballer. And <laughs> I'm 47 years old and I've only just accepted that I won't play for Manchester United. <laughs> so business was kind of my backup, if I'm honest. And even then, as I got into it, I never had a big grand plan to be a CEO. It just happened organically. So if you put me on the spot and say, you know, why? I I, you know, looking back, I think, first, I've, I, I've always loved business. I think it's because I'm naturally competitive. I love sports. I love games, you know. I, especially team games like football. I see it like, you know, we've got goals to hit. We've got strategies to develop problems to solve and ultimately, you know, other teams to beat. Uh, and to do that within a team environment, I just love it. And I think that's where it comes from. And then probably the second thing is my dad ran his own business. So he was CEO, but also, you know, owner, entrepreneur. He did a management buyout. Not a sexy business, chemical engineering. Yeah. Uh, mid-size, about, about 5 million turnover or so, about 100 people. Um, but he seemed really good at it as I was growing up, and I'm very, very proud of him. I was and I am, you know, as that CEO and owner. So I guess you absorb a lot as a kid. I remember seeing him in the boardroom, quite inspired me. Um, so maybe that's part of it. Although I also saw him mega stressed, yeah. as we all get. And, and so subconsciously, that probably put some doubts in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about that. Then let's talk a bit in a minute about you know parts of the day that might be important to you because I know, having known you for as long as I have, I know you're a big family man. But but just noodling a bit on the grand plan thing. I mean, obviously, as I said at the beginning, you know, you've had a fantastic career with some pretty well-known organisations and and a good deal of success. When 
CEO of Ivy Farm, which I think was in stealth mode at the time, it wasn't even a known entity at yeah. the time, came along. What was it about being CEO of that that made you think, yeah, I'll have a go at that? Because it's not like a normal set-up organisation where there's already a big team and revenue's flowing and everything's kind of normal. This is a really unusual type of role to take, right? Yeah, the current role is quite unique. You know, Ivy Farm is in deep R&D, moving to pilot plant mode. We're trying to make cultivated meat. So real meat from stem cells from animals, you can grow it outside of an animal. It's never been done before, scientifically at scale, you know, and the challenges are, are enormous, but I think not insurmountable. And just the mission that we're on drew me to Ivy Farm. And I was asked to be um, actually a, a board member at first, um, a non-exec, and, and help the scientific team kind of develop some commercial strategies. And then I got pulled in and, and fell into the rabbit hole. And I fell in love with not only the mission, but the team. Like it's a, a, an amazing team built up of really smart, uh, but also kind and I think warm people that feel more than just, you know, random colleagues that you, you have at your big corporates that we've all, that we've all seen. It's, it's a real kind of family environment. We call it the farm. So I think that's why I, that's what drew me to it. And you know what? You know me, Matt. We've worked together for a while. I, I have a lot of self-doubt. I always have that. It's kind of big imposter syndrome on my shoulder the whole time. So even when I wasn't CEO in previous roles, I just kept give, being given more responsibility from Procter to Red Bull to, you know, Heineken. Um, I, I never believed I could really do it. And so when this CEO role came, because it was, again, organic and maybe not conventional, you know, not going into manage a multi-billion dollar company and, and 400 employees, it felt probably a bit easier for me. And of course, I still thought I'm never going to be able to do it, and I was scared. But um, no, I love it, and, I, and I'm throwing my heart and soul into it. Probably messing up a lot, but hopefully being forgiven. I need to be very careful that this doesn't turn into a coaching session and stays as a podcast. But as you know, uh, I and several of my colleagues are some of your biggest fans. And if as Ivy Farm grows and grows, you will you will do it with ease, and you have much more capability than sometimes you see. But it's not actually that unusual in successful leaders that they are able to keep a bit of that ego in check and a bit of that imposter syndrome somehow if that's the right word for it somehow actually seems to really help to keep your feet on the ground a, a little bit i can also however I, what i will attest to is the fact that it's a really unique business having been lucky enough to be invited a couple of times to your to the farm it's a remarkable thing and a remarkable group of people who you're absolutely right are are definitely the cleverest i've come across but you're right the kindest as well that it's a unique combination it's a very special thing you're all doing and uh and 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 as you say you've got to make the science work but it, it's looking good um but this is not a, an ivy farm podcast i think we could do a whole one and you do lots yeah. of interviews on the topic so people can find you talking about that on many different channels let's get back to you as a as a ceo and go behind the curtain a bit I'm happy to see you're at home today uh, for this podcast recording. 
but uh, home is not in the UK, right? So how do you, what is it about your day that's sacrosanct? What do you preserve all the week or the month? Maybe you've got different strategies in place. I'd love to come across like I'm, you know, mega organized and um, wake up at 4am and do my Pilates and, uh, and all that. <laughs> do you not? Who's convinced you did? Not like you, not like you there. Oh yeah, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> On a daily basis, I do like to get up fairly early, let's say about 6.30, and then nothing's really happening, no matter where I am in the world, normally. Um, and so I'll do some form of exercise. So nothing too crazy, you know, about 20 minutes or so of, like, stretching and body weight exercises. I've actually, I've actually got into something, Matt. I'm hooked on, um, you know, virtual reality, you know, these mm -hmm. Oculus. There's, mm -hmm. a, there's a box fit kind of game. Oh, is that? Okay. Yeah. And so I must look very silly now in my pajamas <laughs> with my headset on, punching thin air at 6.45 in the morning. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but I, I, I like to do that. I feel, if I don't do it and if I miss it for a couple of days, I, I miss it. But I think and that's probably not what you're after, right? I mean, I, I travel a lot. And so actually what's sacrosanct to me is when I am home, you know, so I'm home today, but then I'm flying out on Sunday somewhere else, right? Um, so for today and this weekend, when the kids are here, I really want to be present with them. And I haven't been great at that in the past. I do put my heart and soul into business and, and all of the challenges. And, and sometimes I'm only partly present, but I'm, but I'm getting better. And so this morning, you know, I made the kids breakfast and then there's a school run and there'll be pickup today and uh this weekend my boys are playing football my girls swimming so i want to do that i think that's sacrosanct and then of course matt the only other sacrosanct sacrosanct thing for me is manchester united so whenever there's a game on no matter where i am in the world i have to i have to watch that <laughs> of course i su i suspect a proportion of our podcast audience have either a proportion of instantly now like you more and a proportion instantly like you less but yeah. you know who cares right that's the way it is <laughs> Listen, I, I, the only thing that would change my mind about working for Ivy Farm is if the commercial job at Man United came up. So I hope you've got listeners out there that can make that happen. <laughs> we'll do our best. We'll yeah. do our best. But, hey, listen, cultivated meat is also very important too, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, listen, next question is about challenging um, events and situations. You know, 47, so you've lived through a range of um, economic situations around the world and you've typically been running global businesses uh, you know you and I worked together a lot at Red Bull where you had considerable global responsibility what's been the most challenging situation you've encountered uh, either as a CEO or in, in another role uh, and what have you learned from the challenges you've faced yeah I haven't been CEO that long so probably just generally across a kind of leadership positions. Without doubt, Matt, the hardest thing that I've had to do is lay off people. Yeah. I think business is about creating value for shareholders. And so, you know, it's about profits and big returns and efficient budgets, which is all fine, right? And it, and it means we need to make some tough decisions. But at the heart of those tough decisions lie people employees and I'm a big softy I think at heart um, genuinely at my core and 
I care about the people around me and I care about who I work with. Um, and so on a couple of occasions, well, yeah, two or three occasions where redundancies have come, God, it's hard. It, it's hard not only to make the decision and develop the strategies, but then to execute it is, is super tough. Um, you know, it's impacting people's lives, you know, and I think on one occasion, it really hurt me to my soul. I got sick after it um, because I, I felt as though, you know, maybe I didn't do it right or you know, the, the, the guilt from it, the ramifications of it. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I thought three things I probably learned from it is, number one, I'm maybe a bit more guarded now. Um, you knew me at Red Bull, the, the team I had when I was global head of sales, you know, we were full friends as as well as, you know, colleagues and sidekicks. Um, and yet now, maybe a bit older as well and other priorities and things, but maybe my, my team would describe me as a, a little bit more aloof. You know, I'm still probably quite approachable and friendly and things, but um, I've had to guard myself a bit. It's probably not the, the right thing to do, but I, I felt it's a defense mechanism I mm. had to put in place, mm. man. Mm. Mm. No, I think. Listen, I think you. I think you do have to do that. The, a degree of detachment, because you know that at one time or another you may have to do something that doesn't feel especially friendly or family oriented. Um, I think you have to do it to to protect yourself. Mm. I also think, though, anybody who says they find that bit of the job easy, I, I think has lost part of their humanity. You know, it's a, that's supposed to be difficult. Uh, it's supposed to hurt. Um, you know, there's a lot of it about right now, right? Tech companies, you know, laying off hundreds and in some cases thousands of people. And I and ideally hope, in fact, I know because we work with some of them, it does not feel easy. And it and execs like you are emotionally impacted by it. And that's not great, but it's kind of what you're paid for. So, you know, nobody's going to get violins playing for you too much. But I do think anyone who's listening to this podcast who who is thinking about senior leadership in their future has to accept that sooner or later this will come along to everyone. Yeah, and it's never yeah. easy, um, uh, and that protecting yourself with strategies like maybe being a bit more detached, it's it's not a bad thing. The other thing I think it's a good point, Matt. The other thing I learned through it is um, to when when it does happen, because sometimes it's your decision. You know, you're the boss. Things change, situations economically. You make the decision and, and work it with your team. Other times, it comes down on you. If you're in a big corporation, I mean, the decision is made, and you, and you have to figure out how to execute it. But either way, when you're going through it, I think you have to be true to yourself, and you have to choose the human element over any other metric, whether it's speed or whatever efficiency and, and gains. And when I haven't done it well, it's when that human element hasn't been as much of a priority as it should be. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, with you know, I'm a bit bit wiser now, a bit more stubborn. But um, if it ever comes around again, I think I won't do it any other way. It has to be, you know, with kindness, and you have to be uh, very respectful of, of of everyone involved. So, it's and also have a good HR manager, Matt, is the other one. Indeed. Honestly, Indeed. invaluable. 
not it's just been... for those uh, situations, but especially in those situations, you realise if you've got a good one or a bad one. Utterly invaluable. Utterly invaluable. And it's all about dignity, right? It's all about dignity. Treat people with dignity. Treat people as, as the old cliche goes, as you would prefer to be treated. Yeah. Um, listen, I know you're under pressure for time, and I've got a few more questions for you. Who's most influenced the way you lead, Rich? I know you're you're an observer of others. You and I have often talked about the way others go about their tasks, both famous people and, and less well-known people. Who's been a big influence on you? Tough question, that one. Um, quite a few. So I believe that in life you constantly learn and it's the same in business. And I, as you say, I learn by observing, copying and mimicking. You know, if I'm in America, I put an American accent, for example. I don't I hate it, but I do. When I'm home, my, my Manchester accent comes out. But I think it's like that when you're thinking about tactics that you pick up and processes and styles and, uh, and you know, ways that people go about leading. And so I've had some amazing bosses throughout the years and some less amazing ones. I think there was one guy called uh, Tom McDonald's at Procter & Gamble. Uh, I'd like to sh make a shout out to him. He's awesome. I was in my early 20s at the time and ready to set fire to the world. And Procter & Gamble was a brilliant training platform, but a bit slow, big, quite bureaucratic at the time. And he came in, I was working in the UK, he came in from the US, and he just had that step up in energy and positivity. And the bit that I learned, I really respected from him and, and tried to emulate is he was a real man manager. So he knew how to push my buttons. He didn't just have one style. He flexed his style to push, understand, and then push everyone else's buttons. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still not there, but, but I, I really try and emulate some of that. I think at Red Bull, George Storant was my first boss, and you, you've worked with him, Georg. Um, he gave me a great opportunity, and what I learned from him is that he demands really high standards of execution and of output, and it, I think I take a lot of that on. I might have even surpassed him by now. I'm a bit of a taskmaster. <laughs> um, but I learned a lot from him. And then the other one at, at Red Bull was Manfred, Manfred Huckel, who... Mm -hmm. I guess he was chief commercial officer, basically quasi-CEO, right? And my boss for many years. And I think, Matt, I'd like to get your opinion on this. I think he was the epitome of level five leadership. Mm. 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 So Jim mm. Collins, what was yep. it? Good, built to last or good to great? Built to last, absolutely. Yeah, follow up to good to great. Yeah. yeah. In one of those books, it was talked about yeah. level five leadership. And I think it was about being humble. Yep, correct. You know, putting others in the spotlight, being in the background, which he was and sometimes could get frustrating, but actually he was still very determined and driven and had a great moral compass behind it. Um, and I, what I think I appreciated most about him is that he really believed in me, gave me the spotlight, even when I gave up on myself. And so he just gave me loads of opportunities. And he's a great guy. I miss him now. I think I appreciate him more looking back than I did at the time. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to get somewhere close to his level five leadership. Yeah, and, and I really think you are. And I think you're spot on with him. Obviously, I know I know George very well. Um, Manfred, I knew less well. But I do remember a, 
a meeting halfway up a mountain one yeah. day in a funny little Austrian building. In a um, hut. And the hut, exactly. And he his presence in that meeting was felt but was in no way overbearing. And he was very, he is unusual in that regard, in that his presence was felt, but he would just sit on the edges and let you guys do what you wanted to do and develop Red Bull into the extraordinary success that it that it has been and still is. But he was there and could just nudge and guide. I'd never thought about level five equivalent, but I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. T talking of that higher level behavior, you're now busy building an executive team um, and have got lots of the jigsaw places in place now. But having spent a good few years being on top teams and now building your own what's the secret what have you what have you learned what's trial and error taught you or observation taught you about the secret to a really effective top team what do you need well i've been i've been part of quite a few exec teams right playing various roles um I, i'm building my exec team now built one um and i'm really proud of them actually they're a unbelievable bunch i actually love working with them as well as feel as though we're being effective so i think that actually is probably part of it you know when you can have fun with the people you work with even though you're getting serious stuff done or overcoming serious challenges so so probably that fun bit you know i have a bunch of people who don't take themselves too seriously and appreciate each other as humans that's probably one um but when i look back and i was part of a effective executive teams i think that's the question um, the strong ones, it wasn't when the business was going well that you realized you were in a, uh, an effective leadership team. It was when there was a crisis on and the shit had hit the fan. And then you realize what kind of team you're in and also how you react, right? Whether you step up. Um, and so looking back, it would be like, when the shit hit the fan, did we have a vision that we were all bought into? Like, were, were we bonded by the longer-term kind of purpose of the business? And if we were, it makes, it makes it a lot easier to not only get out of bed and attack the shower in the morning when, you know, you're not hitting your goals and the pressure's on, but it, it makes it easier to then interact and, and have those tough discussions with your, with your colleagues because we're all we're all headed in that one direction. So that's a big one. I think this, the second one is probably um, when you look back, the, the team were specialists, but they were also leaders. It was like a team of leaders. So yes, they need to be good at what they do, better than the CEO at being whatever, the HR or the operation. But more, probably more importantly, they need to be leaders in themselves, like captains who can behave in the business like a leader and inspire and have gravitas and kind of be the adult in the room because a CEO can't be everywhere. And, and so that maturity is important, I think. But then you get to the basics of, I think what you've taught me, Matt, if I'm honest, and we've gone on this journey together. So open and honest communication in the team. Um, so part of being that leader is that, you know, the team is aligned on how we behave and they don't just run their own race, but they are motivated to lean into other people's business, yeah. give brutal feedback, 
so we called it broken windows. Yeah. You know, don't walk past a broken window because you think it's not your job. You have to call it out. Um, so, yeah, I think in my senior leadership team now, I encourage everybody not to hold back. Be respectful, yep. but say it all when you're in, you know, that safe zone of, of your SLT room. Yeah. But at the same time, on the comms, when you come out of that SLT room, when you come out of that meeting, even if your agenda didn't go well and the decision went against you or you don't agree with, with what we're doing, it, you know, that maturity to align around the decision and drive the agenda down through the whole team is really important. You're kind of, you know, men at arms in the, in the trenches at that point. And even if you're not getting along with one of your colleagues, you've got to have their back when you're outside that, you know, safe zone of the leadership room. And so we, we've done a few of these together, Matt. I think the team's getting there now. Um, yeah, they are. I've had to, to, to also, you know, step up as well because um, in the business that I'm in, it, it, we're only 55, 60 employees. And things are moving very fast. You have to be over everything. You're kind of falling over each other a little bit, right? And then you have to be yeah. so aligned. And so um, I've had to change my style as well. But I wow. think that alignment on comms, internal, outside, having fun, bought into the vision, probably the biggest one. I think it's the bit of the job that people outside of the executive don't see. So to look at the job of CEO and see you, naturally, you're the you know, the mouthpiece of the organization, you're leading comms, you're, you know, making calls on strategy, but actually there's a whole team dynamic role for the contemporary CEO, which is about making sure that those interactions between executive members are as frictious as they can be to create creativity and the dissonance that you need to make sure that you don't misstep but then the cohesiveness outside of the executive space. And it's a very tough balance to walk. You, I've talked about it often. You know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And it and it's not. And and you guys are, you know, you're you're developing a, a really, really, you know, shout out to the to the Ivy Farm exec team. You are you are developing really neatly, but in the middle of something that's really challenging, really complex, and things moving at pace. And it's Richard, about the people, Matt. It's about the people. So just to you know, give a couple of examples. Al Russell is our chairman, but he's also helping us out on some science topics. But a brilliant, you know, brilliant scientist, but a brilliant people person who brings that dynamic to the team. And then you've got, you know, a kind of CFO and our COO much more into the operational, call it as it is, side. So, you know, everyone having their style needs to be appreciated around the table. And then yes. suddenly you can take on anything. Yep. Absolutely. But I also think everybody thinking about what their style is and and being coached by a good CEO to adapt to the circumstances so things don't become overplayed mm. strengths. And that, I think, is the bit of the job that, that people shouldn't see a CEO doing, but that I think sometimes don't even know is happening. And the hours on end that you and other CEOs I, I work with spend, you know, in, in sort of counselling sessions with their execs, listening, absorbing, just nudging in the right direction, you know, maybe in the way that, you know, Tom did, you know, back in the day at, at P&G. It's a special skill. Rich, I've got two more questions for you, and I know you're against the clock. So okay. um, let me let me get to the last couple. 
big change on your horizon what's what's the biggest change on your horizon i mean goodness you are you're in the depths of an of an r&d business um heading toward commercialization so i guess it might be that but maybe it's it's something different what's big for you well first of all matt you keep saying i'm in a rush you're making me sound like <laughs> it's a very i've got man. a cup of tea i've got a you're... biscuit oh I'm come on you've got sky news waiting i know that to be true <laughs> so <laughs> What's the biggest change on the on the horizon? Um, well, uh, Ivy Farm is based in the UK now. Our next big step in commercialization is moving from R and D and our pilot plant that we've got, kind of small scale manufacturing, to a much larger facility. Now we've got a bit of proof of concept work to do before we do that, but that's a big step. That's a three hundred, well, two hundred million dollar facility. Um, real scale fermentation we can really benefit the planet by by taking a chunk out of traditional meat farming and all and the sustainability around that so um that's a big one and the question is where we're going to do it i'd love to do it in the uk but the regulators right now are being being really slow versus other places around the world you know asia usa so if nothing changes matt i could be off to faraway lands you know, maybe the US with the family and, you know, kind of pursuing it to make cultivated meat a reality. Because I really believe in it. I think, the, you know, the planet needs it. Yep. And so three kids, you know, carting off three kids and an amazing wife away from a place where they they call home and are really happy. It's big decision times. And not just for me, right? This this will be for other leaders in Ivy Farm and other people in, in Ivy Farm. Um, but when you're my age and have the commitments, it's a bit of a bigger decision than when you're young and free and single. So yeah, it's exciting. It's really exciting. Set up a new facility, whole new place. Um, but it'll, I'll need to find the power to do it. It's lots of change. Well, good. The good news for me is we're going to have no shortage of things to talk about in coaching sessions, right? That is for sure. <laughs> um, and and you have made you know, good decisions over the last 20 or 30 years, and you're going to continue to do so, I'm sure. Um, but it's it's exciting, but also probably a bit intimidating for everybody. I've seen in everybody's eyes um, in Oxford, you've got your your fabulous mini version of a, of a factory, and you can see in everybody's eyes this sense that this is going to work, but when it does, we're going to need something... I don't know how much bigger would it be? 20 times bigger? 50 times bigger than what you've got there? Um, we would go from 1,000 litres of capacity to a million, more than a million. So Good grief. Yeah. Good so grief. It's orders of magnitude. It's a lot more stainless steel. That much I, I, I do know. And the windows, yeah, like, it'd be like the windows running a massive bigger. beer brewery, but instead yeah. of brewing beer, we're brewing meat. Which you're kind of used to, right? You're kind of used to. Yeah, I like a beer and a sausage. Last question. Um, some people who listen to this are thinking they might want to take the journey you've taken. Some have already taken it. And even if you've neither of those categories, some people, you know, many of the people who listen have to deal with CEOs on a on a reasonably regular basis. Let's do a bit of advice for the aspiring CEO community. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> What's your advice? I'd say first, aspiring to be a CEO is a little weird for me. I think you should know why you want to be a CEO. What, what's the reason for aspiring to be? 
in my opinion, I think you should, the goal should be to get really good at something, work hard at it, prove the results, prove yourself, and really see if you like working with people. And I think the result could be at the end of all that hard work and journey, you might be a CEO. But aiming for it uh, it's right out the gate, I'm, I'm just I'm not sure it's the right thing to do. So I guess it depends where you are in your career. So the goal should be different, and I think the result could be CEO. Second, if you do get into a CEO role, know that, or, or any leadership role, I think know that you're going to mess up a lot and expect it and embrace it. You know, I'm a control freak. I'm a perfectionist. I beat myself up a lot. And I, my advice would be try not to do that. Like, if you're, what I've found is if you're open with your team and show vulnerability um, and say sorry, they will support you and they will forgive you. And I need reminding that every now and again, but that would, that would be a big piece of advice. And then finally, I'm going to blow some smoke, Matt. You need to get a coach. You need to get, honestly, you need to get a coach along the way. And I'm blowing a bit of smoke here, but, but you've been my coach for a long time. It's been really invaluable. Um, and, and maybe it doesn't need to be like a paid coach, but I think everyone needs someone they can trust and that they respect who's kind of removed from the daily detail and who's willing to give them real honest opinions. Sometimes tell them the hard truth and, and push them when, when it's needed. You've kicked me up the arse every, every now and again <laughs> uh, when, I, when I've needed it and been stuck in a rut. But also the other side, right? Be kind and gentle and build them up when the pendulum has swung too far the other way. Um, so, yeah, I think that having that trusted advisor is, is a big one. Well, that's very, very kind of you. And you didn't tell me you were going to do that. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm very flattered. I was, I was about to say, if you can't find somebody you can trust and respect, I'm always available. Um, so that's good news. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, I think you're right. Of course, I do, given the nature of the work that I do. But I think, I think actually the, the nudges, whether it's somebody you're paying or somebody you just really trust or somebody you've had in your background that hold on to those people who can be truthful with you who can hold a mirror up to you um uh, but who also themselves have the understanding of how you can learn from each other because i'll i'll blow the sunshine in, in the opposite direction one of the aspects of the fact that you do have very high standards is that you've over the years made and i know i'm not alone in this you've made us and many others that i know and people who've worked with you better because we up our game because we go, okay, this is rich and we're going to need to be on our on the money here. And so it's not always a bad thing. Knowing when enough is enough is a thing. Mm. You know, admiring progress over perfection is also a great thing. But actually, you know, people like you drive people like me um, to do better. And uh, and it's a great gift that you give, as is the gift of this time, um, Rich. I'm really, really grateful. I've been really looking forward to having you on the podcast because um, you and I have uh, developed such a great relationship over the years. And I I think of you um, more as a friend than a client. Um, and it's incredible what you've done. Uh, and I wish you and the Ivy Farm team 
the most remarkable success. It's a real privilege to have a bit of a ringside seat to it. It's a fascinating thing you're doing. Um, uh, very best wishes, but but most importantly, enjoy your your couple of days with the family before you're back on the plane again. And I guess Sky News might be waiting for you. And if they are, I suppose you've got to go there if you've got to sort of take a step down in terms of media outlets. You know, that's <laughs> I'll keep them waiting. No, thank <laughs> you, man. I'm very honoured to be on your podcast, and I appreciate everything that you are doing and and the whole positive momentum team. Bless you. Thanks, Rich. Have a great one. Cheers. Thank you. As with so many of our other guests, Rich didn't set out to become a CEO and quite rightly worries about people who do. But you can see how watching his dad's business and having a lifelong passion for team sports set the seeds for what would inevitably lead to the highest levels of leadership. I'm always struck by Rich's self-effacing style and whilst as you can hear, he's no fear of showing his softer, more vulnerable side, you can imagine, I'm sure, that working with him is not for the faint of heart. I've lost count of the number of people he's led over the years who've grown immeasurably during their time with him, and I've gone off now to senior roles in organisations all over the world. He sets a remarkable standard for detail and understanding. I just recently watched him engaging with a group of bioengineers on the finer details of cultivated meat production, and it reminded me that to excel at this level, You've really got to do your homework, and boy, does Rich do that. Learning to be slightly more guarded while still having fun with the team isn't an easy tightrope for anyone to walk, especially when you like the people side as much as Rich does. So, of course, I'm bound to say the advice to get a coach is very wise indeed. So while Rich goes off for a VR boxing workout, we'll bid him adieu and say thanks. And, of course, thanks also to you for listening. If you're a new listener and you've enjoyed learning from Rich, then take a look at our past episodes. And of course, click that subscribe button on your platform of choice. If you're a regular, thanks so much. And remember, if you get the chance to share the series with others, we'd be incredibly grateful. Meantime, best wishes in all your endeavours and look forward to welcoming you to the next episode of Meet the CEO from Positive Momentum.